Cherise Torrance has vivid memories of school, but they have little to do with learning. She remembers a lot of chaos, kids cheating or not showing up at all, and the fights. There was this one time at the bus stop. She was 13 in eighth grade. A classmate was being bullied, and she jumped in to help. I used a lot of profanity. I was like, leave her alone, leave her alone. And the young lady turned to me and said, what you're going to do? She was like an Amazon, you know? And (laughs) immediately, for me, it was just like, there's no other way I'm going to get out of this. So I have to fight. So I dropped my book bag, and we started fighting, and she... She really did me in. Like, I really was trampled. The fight did not end well. Someone else ended up cutting the girl. The next morning, Sharice was in science class. And suddenly, the principal of her school walked in with the police and the girl. She was there, and she pointed who she was fighting. And they, the cops came to my desk, get your things, and just put the cuffs on my hand in science class, in school, in front of everybody in class, walked me out of the building, told me that I was arrested for assault, and they put me in the back of the police car, and my hands were cuffed behind my back. The police dropped the case once they realized Sharice wasn't the person who cut the girl. But Sharice changed schools anyway. Then, in the first week at her new school, she got jumped in gym class after a girl said she looked at her the wrong way. Fights were a normal part of student life. They embodied the dysfunction in certain schools in New York City in the 80s and 90s. Schools where a lot of kids were falling behind in reading and math and not graduating on time. Now that Sharice is a mother, she brings that experience to the choices she makes for her son, Malachi who sat quietly by her side as she told our producer, Heather Rogers, about those fights. What's it like to hear your mom tell that story? It's like, it's pretty scary because I never known all of this until now. Uh It's the first time you've heard this story? Yes. Malachi is eight. Sharice wants to save him from the kind of school experience she had growing up. She has big aspirations for him, and he does too. When I grow up, I want to be a doctor to help people and see how their bodies form. So that means you, you, you want to go to college? Yes, you have to. If you want to be a doctor or astronaut, you have to go to college for those things. When Cherie started looking for schools for Malachi a couple of years ago, she thought about the type of school she wanted. A school that was safe, a school that would nurture him and push him academically. Their neighborhood public school wasn't an option. It was bad. One day, she was at a barbecue, asking around, and someone mentioned a school that had amazing test scores and was promising to get kids into college. It was a charter school. Sharice didn't know much about charters, so she decided to find out more and went to the school's information session. It was raining outside, and the line was around the block. And I knew at that point that I made the right decision because I said, there has to be something great about this operation because all of these people are lined up, and it was not for show. They just want more than what they had. And that's me. Like many New York City parents who live in poor neighborhoods with failing schools, Sharice refused to accept that her only educational options were bad ones. Welcome to Startup. I'm Lisa Chow. This season, we're looking at the organization that Sharice and other parents stood in line in the rain for. It's called Success Academy. 
It's one of the fastest growing and most controversial charter school networks in New York City. Success is scrambling to meet the needs, hopes, and dreams of parents like Charisse and others who are trying to flee a system they see as failing. Rome is burning. It, the, the place is on fire. Kids are trapped in schools where they will never learn to read. That's Eva Moskowitz. She's the founder and CEO of Success Academy, where Sharice wants to send Malachi. In New York City, 90% of the schools are not working on the most basic level, even though we are spending more per pupil than almost anywhere in the country. You have a third of the kids completely illiterate and innumerate, another third of the kids barely able to read, and you have the kids in New York City doing reasonably well. Most of those kids are white and affluent. So in addition to abysmal results, you have a deeply, deeply segregated school system. Any way you look at it, it is a crisis. Eva Moskowitz set out to fix this crisis when she started Success Academy 12 years ago. She'd been a strong believer in public education, but after working for years on the New York City Council, trying to improve the largest school system in the country, Eva concluded that it was just too broken. And so she chose to create her own network of schools, a set of charter schools that currently serves 17,000 kids. And so far, she's accomplished something extraordinary— something that politicians, educators, and philanthropists have been trying to do for decades. Success Academy is closing the achievement gap, at least on a small scale, between poor kids and rich kids, between black and brown kids and white kids. But at the same time, Eva's schools compete with the city's traditional public schools for students, for space, for money. That puts her schools on the front line of a debate that's happening in cities and towns across the country. Charter schools are contentious, and Eva doesn't shy away. She's made a lot of enemies in the process of building her network of schools. People like this guy. Time for Eva Moskowitz to stop having the run of the place. She has to stop being tolerated, enabled, supported. That's New York City's mayor, Bill de Blasio, speaking several years ago. And the mayor isn't alone in wanting to stop Eva and Success Academy from growing. The fight is ideological. It is wrong. And it can't be tolerated at all. We have created two separate and unequal classes of education. That's what has happened. That's what has happened. The fight is also personal. We asked charter school advocates who know Eva why she inspires such strong feelings. In general, the rest of us are more... Let's work the system. Let's be more conciliatory. Let's figure it out. And Eva is a little bit like, you guys are naive, and that's not how it works. And you got to punch them in the teeth and go after it. Even people who love Eva say she can be difficult to work with. How many times have I been in a meeting with her where she's like, this math curriculum sucks. Write it again. And so are there times where I dislike her immensely? Yes. (laughs) I said that on recording. I hope that gets cut. For the better part of the year, we've had unprecedented access to Eva and success. We've talked to students and their families, kids who've thrived and others who've left. We've talked to teachers who think success is saving public education and others who think success is breaking it. And the stakes here are so much greater 
than whether a dating company takes off or a t-shirt business crashes. The meaning of failure changes dramatically when it's the future of thousands of children you're talking about. And so for the next six episodes, we're going to dive headlong into Success Academy's bold attempt to fix the crisis in public education. And we're going to try and understand how exactly is success doing it, achieving extraordinary results for low-income kids of color when so many others have failed. And do its victories and its growth come at a price? This story is complex. There are lots of people involved. Teachers, students, parents, Eva. So this season, we're going to hear from a lot of different people. But first, let's return to Sharice, the woman we met at the top of the show who wanted a better school for her son. Her story tells us a lot about the problem Success Academy is trying to solve. It was the spring of 2016 when Sharice waited in the rain, slowly making her way into the information session for Success Academy. From the moment she walked in the door, she could tell success was different from any school she'd seen before. There was such order. It was like, go to the left, go to the right. What is your name? Your last name is what? Torrance. They had a bin and they gave me my folder. They were dressed professionally and they cared and they were well-spoken. It's kind of like, okay, we were expecting you. So like even just the respect, right, from the start, it's like, we welcome you. We, we invited you to this orientation because you demonstrated interest. You're on board. Sharice was moved by it all. She sat down, and after an initial greeting, the Success Academy presenters started talking about the school. They said that success is different from other schools in New York City because starting in kindergarten, students get science five days a week and other classes like art, music, and chess. Then they showed a video like this. We want our schools to be houses of learning. And in order for our kids to fall in love with learning, we need our kids to fall in love with the power of their own ideas. And that's really a radical notion in education. Sharice was sold. She wanted in. But there weren't enough seats for everyone, so she had to enter a lottery. She told her mother that she was nervous about whether Malachi's number would get called. My mother was like, what's the big deal? It's first grade. What are you looking for in first grade? And when she said that, I just remember, I got a flashback, like, you were not very invested in my education, hence why I'm a super secretary. (laughs) Instead of what? (laughs) A super secretary instead of a lawyer, instead of a principal, instead of, like, really being in in a role that's impacting and leading. That's the type of career Sharice believes she could have had if she'd gone to better schools, if her parents had gone to better schools, and their home life hadn't been such a mess. Sharice is the third oldest of eight kids. She was raised in Queens, and then in Brooklyn, not far from where she and her son live now. And here's the thing about public education in this country. If you're poor, you're usually doomed to a bad school. And if you go to that bad school, you're less likely to go to college, less likely to get a stable job, less likely to get out of poverty. If you're rich, your local school is usually okay. And if it isn't, you've got options because you're rich. Private school, tutors, a safety net. And there is something fundamentally messed up about that difference, especially since education is the main way, maybe the only way these days, to get out of poverty. Sharice was one of those kids doomed to a bad school because her family was poor. Neither of her parents finished high school which meant there weren't many options for them job-wise. Her dad drove a cab. 
Her mom stayed at home with the kids. And money was a constant stressor in their lives. Cherie says her parents fought about money all the time. And she and her siblings were forced to move around a lot. She told our producer, Heather Rogers, that she lived in some pretty uncomfortable situations. We were always, like, all of us in a one-bedroom apartment because that's what they could afford. And really? what, did, what do you remember about being in a one-bedroom apartment? Sharing a twin bed. I remember we were so, it was like me, my other sister, and my little brother, and he urinated on the bed. And it was a twin bed. That's what made it so horrible. When I think back to that, like, why were three of us on a twin bed? (laughs) Around that time, Charisse's dad got sick, and her mom was left to care for the kids alone. Not long after, the family ended up homeless. They lived in shelters for over two years. During those years... Cherise guesses she went to four, maybe five different elementary schools. By high school, Cherise was failing classes. But this illogical thing kept happening. She kept getting advanced to the next grade. If you do not pass math one, you could still take math two. If you pass math two, you get credit for math one. And go on to whatever the next level of math there is. That does not make sense. But the machine was too big. The policy at the time was that the teachers, the principals, the administrators just went with the quickest possible solution, passing her to the next grade. She says they didn't really address her problem. You know, they really treated it like you would change an attire. It's like, okay, you can get on the road, right? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I don't think people also really measured how critical their role was to someone's life. No one cared if it registered or if I got it. And that's what New York City education in some schools are like and some districts are like. You're there. You pass because you're there, but you don't have to be present. And by present, you mean? You're learning. You're taking it in. Someone is holding you accountable. In the meantime, Sharice's family life had gotten worse. She ended up in foster care. She said all this turmoil was painful and embarrassing, and it made her into a pretty angry teenager. But then something changed. She had a turning point. It happened when the foster mom she'd been placed with called her out on her grades. She said to me, Sharice, I know you got report cards today. Can I see them? And I gave it to her, and it was 45 and 55, straight down a report card. And she was just like... Where do you think you're going with these grades? And she said to me, I would never get a job. I'll never get out of high school. And I remember saying to myself that she's wrong. But that idea alone was traumatizing because then I thought about like the limitations my mother had arguing with my dad for money because she couldn't get a job. And I always tied like getting through school with getting a job. So I said to myself, I said, I'm going to turn this around. I'm going to prove her wrong. And Therese did it. She got an internship, graduated from high school. She even went to college. All that led to her job as a super secretary. But to this day, she thinks about her limitations. And she's worried about her son Malachi, especially since they live on a block where drug dealing is pretty rampant. Cherie says the pressure is always there. We were walking down the street and he was observing um, the guys on the corner. And... Um, Those guys out there said, oh, Shorty, as in referencing Malachi, it was very interesting that he knew Shorty was him. 
So in my head, I'm like, why are you even responding? Your name is Malachi. I call him Boom Boom, but your name is Malachi. Why would you acknowledge that? But I noticed he looked up in attention to them. These are older, you know, guys up to no good. Then one of the guys says to Malachi, You like my sneakers, shorty? You like my sneakers? And he tells him, ask your mom, can I get you the sneakers? And I said, don't you do that. I said, you understand? I said, his mother is just fine. I said, if he needs footwear, I will buy it for him. I said, don't you ever, don't you ever address my son regarding needing anything or wanting anything. He was like, oh, I apologize. It's not that serious. It's not that serious. I said, you know what your intention is. Don't do it. And I was just like, oh. Well, he's taking it all in, you know? It's just like these these guys look confident on the corner. They just seem cool. They have the joint in their hand. And I could see that he's starting to process these things. These are black men. I'm a black boy. They're sharks. You understand? It's like they're crocodiles. This is like the introduction of recruitment. I know it. Which is why it is perhaps not an overstatement to say that the phone call Sharice received a few months after she'd entered Malachi's name in the Success Academy lottery was one of the best calls of her life. I remember coming home and it was the evening and someone called me and I said, hello, they was like, this is Success Academy and Malachi has been accepted. And I was just like, oh my God, thank you so much. I'm so excited. Like, I was just so happy. I was totally like in tears. I can remember. I'm getting emotional now. I can remember that I was, I was so happy that now my son can actually be part of something that has a history of performing in which I know that he's learning, that his foundation is going to be strong. I I said he really, finally, he has a chance. For Cherise, getting into success felt life-changing. For any New York City parent locked in poverty, a mission to Success Academy can feel like the difference between a world with options and a world without, between security and insecurity, between success and failure. But what have these families actually signed up for? We're going to leave Cherise for now and take you inside a Success Academy school to see exactly what it is that parents like Cherise are so desperate to have. That's coming up after the break. Welcome back to Startup. I'm standing in front of an apartment in Brooklyn. It's early in the morning, still dark outside. Check one, two, three. Okay, I'm going to... Text Libby, tell her I'm here. I'm here to meet one of Success Academy's elementary school principals at her home as she gets ready for work to see if I can learn the secrets of success's success. This principal's school is one of the highest performing in New York State. 99% of the kids pass the state math test and 96% pass the state English test. And the vast majority of her kids are black and low income. The principal, Libby Ashton, greets me at the door. Welcome. How are you? Um, I'm good. I'm tired. It's it's happening. It's starting. Today is a special day. It's the first day of school, when the stress is particularly amped for Success Academy. In many ways, Libby is a typical Success Academy principal. She's 28 years old, and this might sound crazy, but it's actually her third year as principal. A lot of people don't move into that kind of leadership role at a school until well into their careers. But at Success Academy, young principals are the norm. In some ways, the network's growth necessitates it. Success is booming and adding new schools all the time. 
and star teachers are quickly promoted up the chain. One of the first things I notice about Libby is how impeccably dressed she is. I'm still wiping the sleep from my eyes, and she looks luminous as she puts on her makeup. She's wearing a dark sleeveless dress with lace print, gold hoop earrings, looking like she's ready to go to a wedding. And that is by design. Success Academy's founder and CEO, Eva Moskowitz, has a fierce belief in the mantra, dress for success, even when the work involves spending time with a bunch of six-year-olds. There are, I think there are many Eva-isms about how you should dress, but just shy of tuxedo is the one my staff likes to reference. Just shy of tuxedo, wow. That's fancy. It's pretty fancy. Um, I also, though, do want my staff to be comfortable because the work is hard and physical. So I say, dress like you're going to a wedding where you may spend time sitting on the floor. (laughs) Libby throws a pair of peach-colored high heels into her backpack, and we head out the door and walk to her school. Tell me about this neighborhood. We are in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. Most of my students are Caribbean. On the blocks that we're walking past, there's amazing Caribbean restaurants and bakeries. As we walk past hair salons and churches, discount stores and laundromats, Libby talks through her strategy for the first day of school. Like any elementary school principal, she's worried about kindergartners being separated from their parents for the first time. It's the first two weeks of school with kindergarten is a wild, wild thing. It's their first time in school, a lot of them. And they do not know how to do any of the things that they need to do to be in school. But different from just any elementary school principal, Libby is operating at a level of detail that's almost confounding. Her kindergarten teachers have done a ton of prepping for the first day of school. They need to work on sort of like 45 second long increments to make sure that every 45 seconds something new and really exciting is happening. 45 second increments? Yeah, I mean... That's intense. It's really intense. Obviously you don't need to like move from place to place every 45 seconds, but every single thing you're doing needs to feel like a game um, and like something really engaging is happening at least every 45 seconds, if not every second. (laughs) I've got two kids, a six-year-old and a three-year-old. And I can't imagine changing stuff up every 45 seconds to keep them engaged. But Eva Moskowitz has forged a culture at Success Academy where everyone, principals, teachers, operations staff, sweats the small stuff. So Libby's kindergarten teachers have drafted 15-page scripts and plans in preparation for this day so they know exactly what to say and do every step of the way. We are at the school, and Paige just walked in, first grade teacher. We're standing in front of a five-story red brick building. There are tall mulberry trees out front. My team is already set up outside, orange and white balloons. If you were walking, you'd be excited if you saw these balloons, would you not? Yeah, yeah, definitely. (laughs) Libby and I walk into the building. She starts making her rounds, peeking her head into classrooms. Guys, it's going to be awesome. I'll see you in a bit. Hi, Miss King. Like many elementary school classrooms, These are stocked with Play-Doh, paper, scissors, and lots of books. But unlike a lot of public schools, where parents and teachers have to pay out of pocket for basic supplies, success provides everything its students and teachers need. Libby checks the time, looks out a window, and sees a line of kids waiting in the schoolyard. Yeah, they're already there. They're so cute. I'm really excited. (laughs) We head downstairs to the first floor, and stand behind the closed front door, 
where a flood of kids will come through in a matter of minutes. What's at stake today? Mostly, it's that I need every kid who is about to walk through this door to go home at the end of the day so hype about how their first day of school went. And I need them to be really excited to come back tomorrow. If it doesn't happen, if kids are bored and or teachers have to interact with kids in any way that is not super engaging and super fun, it sets the wrong tone for the year. The first day means a lot. The pressure at success is high on this day because the logic goes, if the kids aren't engaged from day one, they're less likely to achieve, less likely to graduate, and less likely to go to college. The stakes are that high at Success Academy. Libby looks at her phone. Okay, 7.15. Guys, it's time. Ready? She's actually going to come in by herself. Okay. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, you can, you can. Good morning, sweetheart. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay, give me a handshake. Come on in. Good morning. Libby shakes the hand of every child who walks through the door. It's a daily ritual at Success Academy, a way for principals to connect with the students in their school. You're going to have a great day, sweetie. Come on in. We have stickers and games and fun to be had. She's, she got to pee. She got to pee. A father says his kid needs to pee, and one of Libby's staffers ushers the kindergartner into the building to go to the bathroom. A group of third graders climbs the stairs to their classroom. They're all in their orange and blue Success Academy uniforms. Most of the girls are wearing plaid dresses. The boys are in ties and collared shirts. On their classroom door is a sign that reads Columbia DePaul. Those are the universities where their teacher, Hannah Chapman, and her assistant teacher got their degrees. Success names each classroom for its teacher's alma maters. From the very first day of school, Success wants to set the expectation that their students can and should go to college. Ms. Chapman greets her students as they file in. Good morning. What's your name? Cedric. Nice to meet you, Cedric. I'm Ms. Chapman. Let's see. I believe your seat. Some kids make a beeline to Ms. Chapman, giving her big hugs. Others are shy, but Ms. Chapman asked them to give her a proper greeting anyway. Good morning, how are you? Wait, wait, look at me when you say hi. Good morning. Good morning. How are you today? Good. Good. Let's find your spot. Every moment at success is an opportunity to teach the kids. The dress code, the handshakes, the eye contact, the expectation of going to college. It's all about the values Success Academy wants to impart. The specific definition that success has for what it means to be professional. What it means to be successful. After shaking Ms. Chapman's hand, the kids go to their desks to eat their breakfast. Orange juice, Cheerios, and graham crackers. Some get started on a worksheet that Ms. Chapman has placed at each of their desks. It's got math problems on one side, a crossword puzzle on the other. And this is where the difference between success and a typical school really stands out. As the kids sit and munch and work, they're silent. Even though there are 30 kids in here with friends they haven't seen in months, there's no chatting or laughing or joking around. The only sound in the room is the crinkle of rappers. It's weird to see a room full of eight-year-olds behave this way. But all this silence didn't just happen. Many of these kids have been at success since kindergarten. They've learned the behavioral expectations. A critical one 
is that they're not supposed to talk in class, in the hallways, or in the stairwells unless the teacher says it's okay. At 7.55, Ms. Chapman calls their attention. All right, I'm gonna go ahead and get us started with our day. So I'm gonna do our, my clap. When you hear me do the clap, you're gonna quietly put your pencil down and do the clap back, here. Great, ready to go. Take a this clap is a signal to the kids that they're supposed to be in position. That is sitting with their back straight, their hands folded, their ears listening, and their eyes tracking the teacher or a fellow student if they're answering a question. This system is about controlling what each student is doing at any given moment, ruling out distracting behavior to keep the focus on learning. And if their eyes drift to look out the window too many times, or their hands come unlocked, they could get in trouble. A warning from the teacher or a timeout. All right, go ahead and check your hands are folded in your laps. I know it's been a little while. It's been summer break. You maybe haven't sat like this in a little bit, but you're right back there ready. Ooh. So much tracking, so many straight backs, still got that positive, ooh, ready to go energy. Ms. Chapman gives her students their first task as third graders to hang up their backpacks on their assigned hooks. This is also something different about success. Teachers spend the first couple of weeks of school practicing transitions. It's part of the instruction, teaching the kids how to unpack their bags, move from their desks to the rug, from their classroom to the cafeteria with military-like precision. Again, the goal is to maximize time spent learning. Ms. Chapman tells the students to get up one table at a time to put away their bags. The kids at the other tables must stay quiet and sit still as they wait their turn. And you might think, Ms. Chapman, why are you making me sit there with my hands locked? That sounds like a little boring. And the reason we're doing that is because we're just going to get everyone unpacked pretty quickly, and then we're going to jump into the next activity. Your hands are going to stay locked so you can watch around the room and see your teammates unpack while all of that is going on. Got it? Got it. Ooh, let's make that loud and proud. Got it? Got it. So ready. There's very little dawdling that goes on at success. Transitions happen quickly. And there are timers everywhere to keep track of the pace. We're going to set that timer. When that timer goes off, you put your pencil down and fold your hands. We're going to practice with a 15-second timer. It's as if success brought in an efficiency expert to analyze how to maximize every second of the day so that no time is wasted. The school has even got sight words on the floor tiles of the hallways. These are words that young readers learn to recognize without sounding out the letters, so kids can practice reading while walking to the bathroom. And I've got to be honest, all of this seems a little nutty. But when I ask Libby Ashton, the principal, about it, she defends it. She thinks all of these rules are what you need not only for kids to learn, but for them to love school. It should be really, really structured, really demanding, and really, really fun. And that does not mean a chaotic fun. That does not mean like an all-over-the-place fun. And when you do demand well as a teacher, it is fun for kids. Kids are bored in classrooms where it's sort of whatever, laissez-faire. The teacher does not know what he or she wants or particularly care if you, if you give that to him or her. Success Academy's chief architect, its founder and CEO, Eva Moskowitz, seems to have cracked the code. She has combined the classroom discipline, all that structure, with the kind of teaching that has pushed the disadvantaged kids in our schools to the other side of the achievement gap. Poor Black and Latino students in Success Academy schools are performing just as well, and oftentimes better, than white and wealthy kids in other schools across New York State. With that remarkable achievement, Eva has won devout supporters. 
but she also has a lot of critics. Success has been accused of being too harsh on its students and for pushing out kids who aren't top performers. Dan Weisberg worked at the New York City Department of Education when Eva started Success Academy. He's an Eva supporter, and he says the criticism comes because Eva is taking on such a huge and entrenched system. Let's say you go into a town with one restaurant. It's been there for 100 years. It's the only restaurant you can go to in the entire town. And the food is terrible. It doesn't taste good. Uh, the service isn't very good. And <clears throat> when people in town complain to the owners of the restaurant and say, you know, well, why can't we have better food? The owners say, this is the best you can do. I mean, it's hard. Hard to serve food. You, can, you know, and, and you customers make it really hard, and it's hard to find good people. And, you, you know, the, the suppliers, it's hard to get fresh food. And, you know, you can't get a good cook these days. And so this is the best you can do. And somebody else comes in town and opens a restaurant. And it's spectacularly beautiful when you walk in. The service is top-notch. Every dish looks beautiful, tastes beautiful, fresh ingredients. How do you think those owners of the first restaurant are going to feel? They're not going to throw a parade for that second restaurant owner. Because what that second restaurant owner has done is put the lie to all their excuses. That restaurant owner has been saying it can't be done... And now you have somebody who shows you that it can be done. So you're going to take that pretty personally if you're one of those people who said this is the best that we can expect for our kids. So, so a big piece of it, I think, is she's showing a lot of people up. We'll find out just how Eva started showing people up on the next episode of Startup. Coming up on this season of Startup, we look at what compelled Eva Moskowitz to start Success Academy and see her take on one of the most powerful forces in New York City politics. I felt like I was in a Godfather movie, and I, I, I had never been in a Godfather movie before. We track success's breakneck scaling, and we look at the pressure it puts on teachers. If I never had to do it again, I would never do it again. If I could erase it from my memory, I would. We get pumped up and meditate on success before this year's standardized test. Let's close our eyes. And imagine that it is Wednesday morning. You are sitting down in your seat. Your teacher has delivered the most amazing pump-up speech. They have told you that you can do this, and they have placed that test book right in front of you on your desk. Cherise Torrance, Malachi's mom, gets some bad news. I just felt crushed. Like, I honestly felt like somebody just dropped a bomb on me. We find out how Success Academy kids respond to a decade of locked hands and straight backs. Yo, 10 years, and we're about to, like, go against Eva Moskowitz. I was like, yo, how bold did we get? Like, I was like, this is ridiculous. The revolution's coming. And we watch as success celebrates a major victory. That's all coming up on this season of Startup. Startup is hosted by me, Lisa Chow. This episode was produced by Bruce Wallace, Molly Messick, Heather Rogers, and Sindhu Nyana Sambandan. Editing by Sarah Saracen and Emmanuel Berry. With help from Caitlin Kenny, Lauren Silverman, Lynn Levy, Peter Bresnan, Eric Eddings, Flora Lickman, and Aaron Kelly. Our theme song is by Mark Phillips, remixed by Bobby Lord. Build Buildings wrote and performed our special ad music. 
For full music credits, visit our website, gimletmedia.com slash startup. Peter Leonard mixed the episode. Special thanks to Eric Menel, Elizabeth Green, Jesse Yarbrough, and Mackie Raymond. To subscribe to Startup, go to Apple Podcasts or whichever app you like to use. And while you're there, leave a review. Find out more about the show at gimletmedia.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Podcast Startup. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. <laughs>